A lifelong vegan, Josh Valesquez created a dairy-free line of cheeses made from nuts that he and his business partner Adam Hamilton have developed into a growing company in the Monadnock region. So break out the vino as we slice into this tale of finding success in fake fromage. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Good morning. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. As okay. you can tell, a little bit of a cold going yeah, on. But I'm not right. doing well. We'll, well. we'll prop you up as we need to today. <laughs> you know, hope you've taken all your meds and stuff. It's not COVID, everybody. We know that. We're good. Tested. We're good. <laughs> testing, testing. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about an, a unique, I would say, food product yes. today. Um, part of that conversation may be around like food allergies and things we can eat, not eat, and all that. Do you have... Are there things like, well, so here's my, like, here's my big question that I want to know. And I wonder if this happens over time as we get to be old, old dudes, but like, are there things, this question is aimed at me. No, 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 no. It's just because I'm talking, then I get to answer it. It's okay. It's all right. We'll hug it out later. But, um, are there things that you like, do you have food allergies? Do you, have you ever experienced this? Like where you can't eat certain things that maybe you want to, if you look at me, I mean, it's pretty evident I don't have much I can't put in my mouth. <laughs> um, but I have to say, speaking of, you know, I just celebrated my 51st birthday. And no. as I get older, um, yeah, my body has decided that the abuse I put through it no longer wants to. So I love spicy food, mm-hmm. but it no longer loves me back. No. The heartburn, the agita, uh. the bloating. So, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, I there's certain spicy foods that I either have to like drink lots of milk to, mm-hmm. to enjoy mm-hmm. Which is or a good just strategy. stay away. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that was, that was like a heartbreaker for me at getting older is go- realizing like, I can't, I, I can't know. handle the spicy food no I more. I see a gastroenterologist now. I'm like, how exciting. <laughs> Ugh, not exciting at all. So sounds like very similar, but do you well, have any allergies? It's like or? the heartburn thing, but I actually, um, have been, I don't know, I'm like most Americans probably that like I'm lactose intolerant, oh. but I love like che- good cheese and and ice cream and all of that. I discovered raw milk at some point, which is amazing and really, really good for the gut and all of that and, and has the things that sometimes we need. But it's not like you become, you know, you're unlactose intolerant, but it's really good for you. I mean, there's, you know. That sort of thing. We could talk about that. Maybe that'll be like a whole show. We'll just talk about how I discovered raw milk, <laughs> which will keep people from tuning in for a while. You I have been assume. warned. Yeah, right, right. Exactly, exactly. No, but that's, um, otherwise, no, there's really not, like, I don't have an allergy to anything. Like, I have, a, like, six containers of nuts at home. So, no, no allergies. Nor does anybody in the house. So, we're lucky in that way because then we don't have to sort of navigate the land of, with kids, you know, the land of And that is so hard for families that, oh my God. where they're, are allergies that I have friends and family where there are very severe allergies in the family. Right. And, um, you know, it, and you know, for some people it just sounds like, Oh, it's an inconvenience. You can't eat certain foods. But if they're like a deadly allergy, Mm -hmm. um, or if there's multiple allergies, the things that my friends and family have to go through to ensure that everything is safe Mm. and even just finding products. I mean, it's like, you know, research, your your food right. becomes you your second and, job. Yeah, you can't just go out and grab something. So like I mean, it's a lot to go through. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I know. And and like like I said, I'm lucky that we're not, um, you know, 
stricken with food allergies and things like that. But yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and it's almost like these, you know, a lot of kids that have at least one or two allergies send, tend to like have a whole bunch more. And it's like, oh man, these poor guys, you know, yeah. kills me. But I think uh, it's safe to say that that's a, yet another rabbit hole here on BizCast. It H. is. There it is. There it is. So we're going to um, pop out now. Yeah, we're popping out and we're going to introduce this, this week's guest. We're very excited. Um, Josh Velasquez is founder and CEO of Nutton Ordinary, an alt protein plant based foods company utilizing a proprietary fermentation process and technology to create premium products in dairy alt food categories. Josh's focus is on brand vision innovation and manufacturing, and he's led the company through many stages of growth, including developing a proprietary blend of probiotics, scaling and creating efficient manufacturing for plant-based cheese and dips, recruiting a team, cultivating and raising a million in investment. Josh graduated from the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Incubator Program in 2019 and is currently part of the 2022 Ernst & Young EAN Accelerator Program. Josh, welcome from one lactose intolerant entrepreneur to another. (laughs) I feel like we could geek out on that maybe for a little bit, but for those who haven't heard of your company or your products, and for those wondering what dairy alt foods are, tell us more. Well, first, thank you for having me. It's our and pleasure. And that was quite the intro. Is there anything left for me to say? <laughs> There's a ton, because we're, we're going to dig. We're going to dig so hard. Uh-oh. Cool. I feel like I need to work harder after hearing your intro. I'm like, oh, I'm a slug. <laughs> that started all in my 30s, by the way. Is, uh, wow. We've accomplished a lot, I guess, in my 30s. are pretty much blacked out, because I've just been spending a lot of time focused on this company. Um, but wow. to bring it back to your question yeah. on... Yeah. What is it? What is not an ordinary? I what mean, we, we said we said what plant based, alt protein, alt dairy, dairy alt. Um, but tell us about the products and and um, and you know what what if I went to your website or found it in the store, what I would see and, and why it's different, perhaps. Yeah. So so not an ordinary uh, in a shorter version of that long description <laughs> is we're making premium, delicious, dairy-free cheeses. Uh, they're uh, typically soft cheeses. Uh, five ingredients. It's cashews, water, Himalayan pink salt, a little nutritional yeast for flavor, Ooh. and then our proprietary probiotic blend. Uh, and that's it. There's no oils, thickeners, or gums. Uh, the magic comes from fermentation. Uh, so like day one, we'll make it, we'll blend it. Mm-hmm. And it is the, the viscosity is a little bit thinner, mm-hmm. um, pretty messy. If you ever came on a production run day, <laughs> we would be covered in like cashew cream splatter. Uh, the next day, <laughs> there's worse things to be covered in, right? <laughs> the next day after fermentation, we'll pH it to make sure it's uh, at the right pH that we need it to be. Mm. Um, and it's the viscosity has changed drastically. It's it's a nice, rich and creamy. Um, Dairy-free cheese, and that's so we're all from like fermentation. Spreadable cheese, spreadable, yeah. Okay. And I actually brought um, some samples today for everyone oh, to take hello. home. Um, <laughs> right now, it's the garlic and herb and spicy. Um, really clean label product, um, and that I'd say is not an ordinary um, short version of that. And uh, you know, our, our focus was creating a really clean dairy-free alternative, which is what's missing in the market today. Yeah. Um, and I can dive in a little bit deeper on that on how we got into this. Everyone's I, probably wondering, that's like, totally the next to go question. There. So you're, you, yeah. you grew up vegan. Yeah. And so, can you talk about what you know in your life experiences led to you going? 
I'm going to start, you know, this alt dairy free (laughs) cheese Mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it out of nuts. Hanging on the edge, (laughs) wanting to know that all of that. It's not exactly a thought process. A lot of people go through. So I'm interested to delve into that. Yeah. So I was, uh, um, uh, raised a vegan vegetarian, like you mentioned, and that was in the 80s, by the way. Mm. And I was actually born in New York City of uh, Queens, New York. Uh, my parents didn't want us growing up in the city, so we actually found New England because they were like, hey, we don't want you living out here in the city like we did. And uh, they were focused on uh, vegan vegetarian lifestyle for the health and wellness benefits. And as we moved to New England, we had better access to farms and whatnot. And now mm. our, our vegan diet actually matured to a whole plant diet. So we started eating less processed um, uh, plant-based foods. Mm. Now, this is the 80s. So we're not talking like the widespread knowledge of veganism that <laughs> we're we talking have like today. Par- so, I like mean, par- the were horrible. Oh, were yeah. you the weird oh, yeah. kid growing oh, up? Oh, I was the weird kid oh. growing up. And so sometimes I'd look at my mom and be like, come on, the meals can be better. Like they tasted very healthy, mm-hmm. but they, there was no flavor behind it. Or right. as a kid, my perspective, you know, yeah. was there's got to be a better way to do this. And mm. um, so fast forward to New England. I also found out that I was lactose intolerant and, you know, both of those things inspired me to, you know, create a dairy-free alternative uh, because there is no premium dairy-free mm. alternative that isn't mm-hmm. filled with oils, thickeners, and gums. Mm-hmm. You know, I was around in the '80s where it was—I'm uh, not going to name any names out there for, for brands—but there were oils, thickeners, and gums. And if you look at the nutritional value on that, oh yeah, not good. You're like, why am I eating this? I'd rather not eat a cheese substitute. Um, so fast forward to uh, 2012. Uh, I went to the drawing board. I had met my partner, Adam Hamilton, who uh, is not here today. And we were both on the same page when it came back to health and wellness. And we originally said, let's start a restaurant, a plant-based restaurant. And that quickly turned into, I had this recipe for, so we didn't create fermenting cashews. Mm -hmm. But I had this recipe from the raw dieting days of my life, which Mm -hmm. was short-lived. But raw (laughs) dieters, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they've always uh, fermented um, nut-based products interesting, and made it into some sort of soft cheese. Uh, We took that recipe that I had and perfected it. Um, And we took it to the next level. And so we had, when we were talking about the restaurant, I had shown Adam the sample came out awful by the way guys it, was, <laughs> it had a funky smell though and this texture was amazing and i said mm. you know we could really do something with this and so we scrapped the restaurant idea uh we our backgrounds are not uh consumer packaged goods mm-hmm. but we said you know we could really see this in, in a container and consumers would love this and so we talked to my parents who uh live in harrisville or lived in harrisville at the time and they had um, a basement that they weren't utilizing. And we said, can we just a couple years build a test lab in your basement, 750 square feet? Um, we just need to do some R&D and figure this thing out because there's no playbook to mm. what we're doing. And uh, they said, yeah. And we said, just a couple years. And so a couple years turned into four years. <laughs> of course. <it> does. <laughs> and they did a lot. I'm very grateful for them because they sacrificed a lot for us to be there. <laughs> um, and so we built out this. It was just a test lab in a basement probably sounds weird or creepy. It was not, (laughs) 
<laughs> it wasn't a dirty basement. We literally put it the epoxy flooring. It. No, right now it's totally like weird and creepy, well, but whatever. The reason why I say that is the state had to come in and approve well, it. Well, yeah, yeah. If it's going to be a lab. They were thinking yeah. they were not going to be approving it because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, we blew their minds, by the way. They came in and they're like, this is beautiful. I can't believe they're like, when you said you were building this in a, in a basement, we, we thought you weren't going to be able to start this. And yeah. But we take our jobs really seriously, even though we hadn't done this before. And so we invested in building this beautiful lab. And so I spent four years figuring out fermentation. And I don't know if anyone here has ever fermented anything, but there are Not a on lot of, <laughs> a lot of oh, natural whoop. variances that are involved in mm. fermentation. And mm. uh, I did not know that getting started into this. Um, And so I had to figure out fermentation and then I had to focus on taste and texture of our products. And then I also had to work on identifying the proper equipment uh, to scale up eventually. And all of that took us four years and there were long days, long nights. And that's a lot to get through as an entrepreneur. I mean, there's one thing to have the idea initially and go, you know, I think this is something, but it's that long haul Yes. To get from the idea to perfecting it where there's a lot of failure in between. A lot of failure. And that takes a lot to be able to pick yourself up and move yourself forward. So what motivated you? What kept you going over all those years and all those, you know, test and fail, test and fail until you, you know, before you hit it? So I don't give up. And I knew that I was onto something in the beginning. And I had told myself, well... If I don't figure this out, someone eventually will down the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, i that's where we came up with our own proprietary probiotic blend. I started doing homework and I picked up dairy cheese uh, books and I started reading into those and realized that what we're doing is very similar to the dairy um, cheese fermentation process. Uh-huh. And uh, I quickly found a company to make these this blend for us. And that was a start. Um and I just kept going from there. And, and yeah, I think most people probably would have given up. But every time we, we took a step forward, we knew we were onto something. And it wasn't quite what we needed it to be, but we felt good about it. And you were another step closer. We yeah. were another step closer. And, and uh, that, that allowed us to just continue to push forward. So what I'm really curious about is you said both you and Adam don't have sort of a consumer products background or food background. You had this understanding, this passion. What is what is your education in? What is your experience or schooling? And in, in, and and I mean, because I I if, even if I had that idea, I would be like, I don't know how to do how to build a lab and start a lab and do all of these things. So, did you have a sort of a foundation or, or a baseline of of education in a certain field or a desire for that? I was going to school for photography, and then I had switched over to like web design. Okay, so um, no. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and Adam's background is uh, banking, so we both kind of okay. You know, I've always had a love for food, awesome. um, especially uh, clean, simple ingredient based yeah. foods, and yeah. so that's kind of what led us down this path. Cool. <laughs> so it's like it, w- we see this a lot, and we've talked to a lot of folks, but. And I always say that, you know, there's, you don't start a business because you want to do the marketing and you want to do all this stuff because you're passionate about something. And obviously yes. you were passionate 
about food. You saw an opportunity eventually. But um, so were you also educating yourself on all of these, you know, the, the lab and the, and the, all of this as you went? You said you were reading some books on dairy cheese and, yeah. and all that. I'm so a very is... different person today than I was <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm not a food scientist. You've but got I, all I your hair, so it. that's good. I it's mean, it, well, hey, <laughs> is what it is, right? <laughs> you said, so, but it's all there. <laughs> when you're in this process, and about how many years was it when it was going through development before, before you finally hit on, like, this is the product we can put out there? 2018 is when I finally felt confident enough to go out and actually um, raise capital. That's when we felt like we had a beautiful product, we can finally reach out and start raising capital to take it to the next level. Um, and that was 2018. So over these years that you know, you're know you in development, was there ever that worry of someone else is going to come in and do this? There's always that worry. Mm. And was that lighting a fire under you the whole time? Or Yeah, I love competition. And I think it's really healthy to have it. And that actually kept me going all the time. I, I think... Um, maybe we wouldn't even be here today if we didn't have that competition because there, you know, when we started, there was about two companies doing this and I'd say there's about 10 companies doing it in the States and then maybe about 50, uh, internationally. Um, and so it continues to grow. Um, and, and 50 may not sound like a big number and, and I'll explain why it's probably only 50 is what we're doing is mm-hmm. really difficult and people do not want to ferment anything, um, hmm. especially something with so many natural variances. And, you know, can you also talk about, because I think this is fascinating, the way the market changed during this whole time that from your beginning of this idea to where you are now, can you describe what the plant-based market was and what it is today? Yes. Yeah, so when we started, we had anticipated that, hey, we started this in 2014 We'll be out of my parents' basement by 2016. Um, that that didn't happen. You know, it didn't grow as fast as we thought it did. It was gaining traction, um, but there was a lot of education behind what we were doing. And um, it really, it started taking off when Beyond Meat right. had ah, their IPO. And okay. that helped us out a lot. Mm. And that was 2019, I believe, mm. um, is when that really uh, lit the plant-based space on fire. Um, and we benefited from that uh, greatly. Because in a matter, a short amount of years now, we've gone from plant-based being that that weird section of the supermarket, right? Or the specialty <laughs> store you went <laughs> to. To the majority. To now, I mean, it's in the fast food restaurants. It's yep. heavily promoted. Um, it's really gone mainstream. Um, and so what has that done in terms of your ability to be able to market effectively now? So it's been a blessing and a curse. Um, and that's because there's so many different players going in that plant-based is can be anything today, right? It doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, and the blessing part is we've been getting a lot of press uh, because it's growing a lot and consumers are looking for plant-based options more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say the curse is... Um, <laughs> Companies are putting out a lot of unhealthy options. Um, I'll use, um, with no names, I'll use a company as an example of the first two ingredients is starch and coconut oil. Mm. 
for a dairy alternative. Fun. You know, how do you yeah. feed that to your grandparents? How do you feed that to your kids? How do you feed that to yourself? Um, and so that was the challenge that we we're facing today um, is we're making this premium, clean, simple ingredient product. Um, and we're hoping that um, we can get to them before these larger companies can get to them and tarnish the plant-based trend. So can you talk about the first product you came out with um, and where and how you started marketing it and how you've been able to grow this company since that that initial product release? Uh, plain. It was a plain. We actually used to call it a cashew cheese. And so it was labeled plain cashew cheese. We worked on that for um, a couple of years before we launched it. And we got into a lot of local co-ops, and then that started picking up. We actually started at $9.99 for six ounces, by the way. And uh, a lot of the co-ops were like, we'll bring this on, but I don't think at that price point it's going to move. Right. Well, it moved really fast. Wow. And we, that's kind of what has driven us, by the way, to continue to do what we're doing. Because mm-hmm. even at nine ninety nine, I was like, this is, you know, it's up there, uh, and it's because of our... Um, main ingredient is cashews. Mm. Uh, our next product that we rolled out was spicy, which is our spicy flavored um, dairy-free cheese. And then we rolled out a garlic and herb flavor as well. I noticed that you said cheese in talking about dairy cheese and the cashew cheese. Is there a, a definition? So we'll say like an FDA definition, for example, of cheese? Yeah, so so we haven't had to deal with that uh, at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. the FDA actually did come in uh, during COVID. We got our first um, audit and uh, we passed with zero remarks, which yes. is the highest you can get. Nice. And they did Congrats. say, hey, we're going to check in on your labeling. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't hear back from us, then you're okay. And mm-hmm. we never heard back from them. Um, you know, what what protects us, I'd say, at this stage is we're not calling it a cheddar, Swiss or Mott's. We're not here to, we're not trying to confuse consumers. Right. Um, and we've always decided that from day one, it, we're not trying to emulate dairy cheese. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we call it cheese is it goes through this fermentation process and we're literally using dairy equipment to make what we're making. It just so happens to be dairy free as we continue to grow, whether as a company or as an industry, um, I believe that standards of identity should be put in place mm-hmm. for plant-based cheese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. We'll see so, where that goes. Here's the question that every parent eventually asks. So when'd you move out of the basement already? (laughs) I'm assuming that this company is no longer there. (laughs) We moved out and at the end of 2018, um, finally moved out of my parents' basement. And uh, we were able to do that because, like I said earlier, um, we finally felt comfortable in 2018. We had this beautiful product. I had the confidence to go out there and raise capital. And mm-hmm. so we raised capital locally. It was a blend of debt and equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we raised about 850000 from the Monadnock region. And, and it started with like friends, what? family, wow. uh, neighbors. Um, people were just hearing about it. And they said, we love what you guys are doing. Uh, we want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so they, they helped us move into an 8,000-square-foot facility um, and that was completed, and we got to fully move in in 2019. And that's in Peterborough? And that's in Peterborough, yeah. That's awesome. 
Um, so that you get to move into this great facility, you're, you're the, the company's moving forward, and then 2020 happens, and, then and 20. the bricks go on everywhere. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I can't imagine that some, you know, a, a nut cheese gets automatically into essential from, you know, operations. So what happened, and how did you overcome this? Because you're at a very critical point in your company development. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was timing. You know. It, it was. Pretty interesting. We were excited to move into this 8,000 square foot facility. Uh, I had the team trained. It was the first time I had a production team because uh, before that in the basement, it was just myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I uh, had the team trained in 2019. How Adam, many people were on the team at this point? Uh, six six production team members. And then we had a sales team. Uh, we had a contracted marketing team. Uh, Adam decided in the middle of 2019, this is the time to leave the bank. Um, you know, we're headed all in the right direction. Uh-huh. We had just picked up Wegmans and Market Basket <clears throat> nice. t- towards the end of 2019 because we had the capacity mm-hmm. um, so you've to service from those like accounts. Zero to 100 in terms of employees. You've got, yeah. you know, you've got a, a, a nice sized team amassed. You've got these accounts going. I mean, you're chugging along, right? We were excited. We were glowing and we were like, everything's lining up. And then, yes, 2020. And so, you know, we're, we're, um, entrepreneurs. So we are warriors and we said, okay, challenge accepted. There's nothing we can do. We're not going to back down. We just moved into this large space. Um, you know, it was very critical and we had to make some cuts immediately to survive. We went into survival mode. Um, and, uh, we brought on an advisor that really helped us through these difficult times and, and helped us navigate, you know, we're the drivers. Mm -hmm. Um, but he Mm -hmm. was there to just say, Hey, you right. should look into this. You should look into that. Things that basically maybe we wouldn't have considered, you mm-hmm. know, until maybe it was too late or four months down the road. Mm-hmm. And um, he definitely played a big part in uh, our survival. And was this someone that you had a connection with prior to all this? Or did, did, is this a, a mentor basically brought on as you're, you know, bailing out the ship? Yeah, this was a mentor that we brought on because we put out to, to our network that we are looking for more experienced uh, people in our industry um, and Adam and I did not come from this industry. And so we took it as far as we could. Mm-hmm. And we realized like, you know, we really need to start leaning on people that have done this before. And we were introduced to this gentleman and we hit it off and he was just really helpful and, and really played a big part in, uh, our survival. And we tell him this all the time. I don't know if he realizes how big of a part he played. Um, I read that you hope to hit 10 million in sales by 2026, which according to my astute calculations is about four years away. Um, (laughs) And so what though is at, do you guys see at this point is at the core of that scaling to that point? So a lot of that, you know, we'll be able to achieve those goals based off of our fundraise. And I don't know if either of you have ever fundraised before. Um, It's time consuming. It's long. Um, it's something that as an entrepreneur, I didn't think I'd have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're focused on that right now. Once we complete our fundraising, we'll be able to hire our sales team. And that's where that 10 million will come into play is we need to hire. It's going back to hiring the experienced people uh, to help <coughs> us grow. And so it's sales and marketing that we're focused that will allow us to hit that. Nice. Nice. Um, we mentioned in your in your lengthy introduction, but it's still a good one. Thank you very much for providing it, um, that you were part of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Incubator Program um, in 19. 19- 
um, that I feel like that program came almost out of nowhere and has been a huge benefit for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the food business. I've, I've talked to a number of folks who are in the business of compu- consumer products in the food area that have benefited from that. Um, what was that experience like for you? And what did you, you know, come out of there learning or, or realizing? <laughs> so it is a great program. Uh, we were the first cohort um, oh, nice. in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And it was the first uh, business program um, that I had ever signed up for. I'll let you know that it was stressful for me because we had just moved into the 8,000 square foot facility and I had to walk away uh, from a business uh, during the daytime. It was, it was about five hours, I think of your time. Um, And, um, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself because at the end of the day, that business was still there when I went back. Mm. Um, there's a lot of great networking. You learn a lot about uh, the companies that are in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And then you got to lean on the Goldman Sachs um, team um, as advisors. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Um, and then the EY program. I don't know anything about the accelerator program, but what's your sort of hope for what are you're going to get out of that? Or, or if you're part of that already, what's that been like? So I'm part of that. Um, that started about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, it's been great. Um, it's, it's not as intensive as um, uh, the Goldman Sachs. The Goldman Sachs, you had to be there like five uh, hours out of your day. Um, this is a check-in once a month, and then you have a lot of uh, online programs mm-hmm. that you sign up for throughout whenever your schedule allows it. Interesting. Um, and so we're two months in. I'm enjoying it. Um, nice. There's that's. I think that's pretty much all I can say at this point. Um, <laughs> yes, very smart. I'll very answer smart. that at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, we'll check back in with you at the end of the year. Um, I want to dig maybe as we look to wrapping up with you, which I feel like we could still talk for hours, but um, there we go. So I want to though find out a little bit more about you. You kn- we know where you sort of um, where you grew up. You came to New England sort of how you ate <laughs> and all of that. Um, you, in 2017, I had read that you uh, received an Emerging Leader Award from um, what was then the, the Peterborough Chamber. Yeah. And um, wondering now how you and therefore, well, Adam and, and the company are involved in community and what community means to uh, the growth and, and uh, the stability of Nut and Ordinary. So community is everything for us and that's actually why we started the company in New Hampshire, specifically in the area that we're in. Mm. Um, it was, you know, we could have started this company anywhere. I was mm-hmm. actually living back in New York City at the time when we were talking about starting this. Um, but there's a strong sense of community in this um, area that we're living in. And we decided we're going to have it here. Of course, it was, we're going to start a dairy-free cheese company. <laughs> out there in a really hard category, by the way, to grow in. Right. Um, dairy alternative spaces is challenging, mm. especially refrigerated space. Um, you know, being a startup, Adam is does a really great job at uh, being involved in the community. He's been on a couple boards. We did have to, during survival mode, focus 100% on the company oh, and we sure. pulled back. But we have this long list of things that we want to do uh, once we get back out there and, you know, what we're doing now uh, is inspire. We hope we're inspiring other people in the community to start companies in the area. And, and you know, it's not just about Adam and I starting this dairy free cheese company out there. Um, mm-hmm. It's about building this culture in our area that anyone can do it if they if they um, have an idea and stick with it and go from there. Beautiful. And it sounds like this has been 
a transformative journey that you've been on. So can you talk you know, about what is the, the biggest lesson that you learned about yourself during all this? And what is the biggest change you've undergone during all this? Oh, there's been many lessons, but the biggest lesson is I didn't realize I could stay up for 24 hours. And <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. There were, there were days of R&D where I had to stay up for 24 hours. So that was one. And then the biggest change is, you know, patience. I've gotten a lot of patience through, through the last eight years. Um, and that's from learning how to manage people better uh, to also just realizing that things take time. Um, and you just have to, if, if you believe in what you're doing and, and you wait it out, it, you know, things will get better. And, and so patience is another one. And that really got tested during COVID. <laughs> so, uh, you talked also about how your employees have been really key to your success and how you had to make some, you know, really tough choices during COVID when you went to survival mode and you went from six down to two. Um, and the two employees that, um, made the cut, um, are folks that, um, other companies may have overlooked even in the hiring process. Uh, one is autistic and uh, the other person's an amputee. And, you know, in manufacturing, I think there's a lot of manufacturers that would raise their eyebrows, but not you. You know, can you talk about um, why you didn't overlook these folks and you, you d- decided to take a chance on them and the rewards you've reaped as a result? Yeah. You know, we we saw something in both of them uh, from day one when we met them, um, and uh, we we trained one of them and realized that they they turned into a superstar overnight. Where we lean on them for um, advice when putting machines together, and um, um, Ben our Ben our amputee uh, that's on the team. He's actually the team lead, and. Uh, you know, he said he had actually submitted a letter saying, you know, I'm an amputee, but please keep reading. I want to be a part of a team. And we said, I was like, this is an amazing letter. Let's bring him in and let's meet him. And he just lined up with our culture. He came in with a smile. He's always positive. And, uh, you know, I together, Ben and I worked on a couple projects and we said, okay, this is uh, what Ben will be doing and he'll be working on this. And, and he let me know these are things that he will not be able to do. And we just took it from there and we became this small um, team of go-getters. And that's how they survived the cut is they always showed up on time. They actually see value in what we're doing and they actually want to be a part of what we're building. And they tell us that all the time. And uh, I understand you're getting ready to bring on a third full-time employee. We're bringing on a, a third full-time employee, and, and that employee came to us um, from our work with uh, our first employee um, that's on the autism spectrum. A parent came and said, hey, you know, I, I hear how well you're doing um, with your employee. Will you please bring my son in and, and see if, if there's anything that he can do at the company? And we hired him last year part-time. He did an amazing job, and he reached out to us this year and said, you know, once I graduate high school, I'd like to come back and be full-time. And we were just moved by that. And uh, he's learning really, really fast. And, and a lot of it just comes with patience, by the way, of just teaching, showing them what to do and the process. Um, and after that, they'll let you know that they're good. I, I came in one time when he came in to, to kind of, I, I wanted to show him how to do stuff. He's like, 
I got it, Josh. He's like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So I stepped back and I was like, this is awesome. Like he felt confident. And I think that's what we're really doing there is we're building confidence in people. Um, and uh, they feel that, you know, they're, they're getting that energy back. Um, and that's what brings them back every single day. And we've written in Business New Hampshire Magazine several articles about uh, people with disabilities in the workforce and the challenges that they face. Uh, you know, it, it, the uh, the part of the workforce, uh, those with disabilities face uh, higher rates of unemployment and because they face a lot of um, assumptions about their abilities, assumptions about uh, what kind of adaptations that um, the employer is going to have to put on. They're going to be expensive, They're you know. And, and, and so they face a lot of falsehoods. What would you tell other employers, especially during this employment crunch, about what they should be doing when it comes to keeping an open mind to who should be on their workforce? You know, I think everyone deserves a shot and, and bring them in and just walk them through the process. And they'll let you know if they're capable of doing that or not. Um, and that's literally how we've done all of our interviews is we've started with an you know, we'll walk them through the process. We'll say, hey, we're going to do a mock run. Let us know what you're capable of doing. Um, and and they've been open and honest with us. And if it seems like it's going to be a challenge, then we just train them. And I think that if other employees are other employers are willing to, to take the time to do that, there there's a lot of great people out there that want to be part of a team. So what's next for Nothing Ordinary? There's a lot of great things happening in Not in Ordinary. So we got past these two years of COVID and we've put together um, and surrounded ourselves with a lot of industry experts. Uh, the next big thing that's happening is we just um, worked with the SEC. We're getting ready to sell shares of the company and we're going through an equity crowdfunding platform. Um, and that's about to launch in 30 to 60 days. And we're really, really excited because this is going to be the first time that we're able to sell shares to the company to everyday people. Um, it, you know, before that, we've just raised money through like convertible notes and you had to be an accredited investor. Um, anyone can invest in this company uh, that's local right here in New Hampshire. And that's a big thing for us. We're excited. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Josh Velasquez is founder and CEO of Nut and Ordinary. Josh, we're excited um, for the, the growth so far of the company, the future growth, your growth as a human being, as an entrepreneur. We're so excited to uh, chat with you today. So thank you. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Speaking of Goldman Sachs, the, according to their 10,000 Small Business Voices recent survey, the current economy is a tale of two recoveries if you ask small business owners. In fact, 88% reported they're still struggling relative to larger companies in their local communities. A whopping 65% of small businesses say, yes, supply chain is an issue, but it's an issue because their suppliers are favoring larger businesses over them. 42% say they have lost employees to larger businesses that are paying more, and 70% worry that their employees will leave them uh, because larger businesses can offer higher pay and more generous benefits. So while we're on a recovery path, small businesses say they're on the losing end of it. And that's what we're buzzing about this week.
Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. Summer is here. A while back here in the corner, we talked about what makes up the price of a gallon of gas. What we didn't talk about, though, is the summer gas price increase, right? Sure, there's a bit of a economics 101 in there with supply and demand, but thanks to convenience.org, we were really able to put our finger on the why. And of course, we'll have more information and link to the information we found on the Cardinal blog. So without letting the cat entirely out of the bag, and maybe you've heard this but thought it was just hearsay, there are different gasoline blends for winter versus summer. But did you know that you can follow the seasonal changeover almost like clockwork, okay? So in February of each year, about 25% of refineries undergo a shutdown to, among other things, retool for summer gas production, right? So here's the interesting part. Winter blend gas evaporate more easily. It allows engines to start in colder weather. So there you go. If used in the summer, the evaporative attributes would lead to increased emissions and smog. So refineries switch over to a summer blend. Sounds like a beer or something, which happens to be, by the way, and here's the key to the price increase, more expensive to produce. There are also 14 different blends <laughs> leading to potential supply issues if there's not enough of each of those on the, uh, the market, right? Retailers start to see summer blends May 1st, with June 1 being the latest that a retailer can switch over to the summer blend. Gas demand increases about 10 to 15% between February, sort of that end or coming to the end of the, the winter blend, to August, right? August being the peak demand. As we enter September in cooler weather, retailers can switch back to the winter blend beginning about September 15th, though watch out. Often complications in the switchover can lead to a temporary bump in gas prices. So we know that supply and demand play a big role, especially unforeseen interruptions in supply, right? But it's those different seasonal blends that bring us the big fluctuations in price year to year. Thanks for joining me in the gas-guzzling Cardinal Corner. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.